Welcome to Gay Mystery Podcast, featuring interviews with renowned LGBTQ authors and up-and-coming talent of mystery, suspense, and thriller novels. I'm your host, Brad Shreve, and Justine Adamick is here with her weekly recommendation. Grant Atherton is my guest today, but as always, we're going to begin the show with our lovely Justine with her weekly recommendation. What you got, Justine? Hi, Brad. I've got a book for you this week called Poison Me Slowly by Ricky Wilkes. And I, I t- and it's the first in a series, uh, the Jack Montgomery Mystery Series. It's book one. He's got book two already out. And then he's planning another book three release pretty soon. I don't really know where I picked this one up. Ran across it, downloaded it on my Kindle, finally got around to reading it. And so I, I don't know what induced me to do this. but it was it is a pulp fiction kind of book you know it, he he loves pulp fiction hard boiled detectives this detective is so hard boiled that he's kind of past that point jack montgomery you know it's the first book and sometimes i was reading it thinking is there another book before this it starts after his partner's death emilio's death and he deals with the aftermath Obviously not successfully, uh, because it takes a long time to get over that. I couldn't find any mention of uh, another story that discussed the Emilio's death or what had happened or why he had a falling out with uh, the people on the police that he knew. Well, it sounds like he tells us about it, but doesn't give us a lot of boring backstory. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not sure. I have a feeling that as the series goes on, we're going to get more of the backstory. Gotcha. So, you know. That was that was an intriguing part of it, because usually you pick it up and they're talking about something happened in an earlier book. And you think, oh, I should have gone back to the beginning. But no, there's no beginning on uh, of this. This is the beginning book. So he's pretty hard boiled because he's worked with the police. He's been a private investigator for a long time and he has been in the army and he gets beaten up a lot. He beats people up a lot. But the fight has just really gone out of him. He starts the uh, the novel sitting in his office meeting this crazy woman uh and and looking at how long is it before she leaves so he can have yet another drink the potential client comes in says that nothing happened and she doesn't want to go to the police because there's nothing to investigate but she wants to hire him to investigate and after some back and forth we discover that she was poisoned thinks it was probably just an accident So her sister wants to be reassured that there really isn't something going on. So this woman, Hattie, pays him for two days. And then he goes to her house and she basically gives him the bum's rush, gets him out after half an hour and says, you can keep the rest of the pay. And this, as you can imagine, piques his interest. He doesn't want to take the rest of the pay for free. So he wants to work the full days, even without her telling, without telling her. But really, he just wants a, a justification in his own head for figuring out what this uh, mystery is all about. He knew something was up. He knew something was up. And so he ends up, and it's in a rough neighborhood, so he ends up running into some mob guys, gets beaten up every now and then. But he solves it. And he solves it. Uh, it kind of puts him back on a little more even footing. He's drinking a little less at the end but he's clearly not out of that bad place. So that personal story will probably continue throughout. 
There's no romance in the book. It's all mystery all the time. And it's it's good. I, I, Jack Montgomery is a very intriguing character. He reminds me a little of Mitchell Riley, although he's, you know, dealing with a, little, a few different demons. But he reminds me of Mitchell Riley with how he is very tenacious and pulls at the strings of a case until one comes loose. Yeah, if he's kicking ass and having having some drinks now and again, that's definitely hard boiled. <laughs> that's right. I, I like it. that. It's really good. I've, uh, I'm giving it a fun recommendation. Fun. It sounds fun. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I picked it up. I read it very quickly. I think it's more of a novella than a novel. So if you're you got a couple of spare hours, you can pick it up and whip right through. Very easy reading. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun. You sound a lot like me. I I'll open up my Kindle and I'm like, when did I get that book? That's right. <laughs> Every now and then you run across it and, and you know that you picked it up for some reason. So it must be okay to read. Yes. And, and you know, I rarely find a book on my Kindle that I hate once I start reading it. But I have, I have no idea. I have no idea what, what prompted me to put it there. Well, it sounds like you lucked out. I did. And uh, I, th- I think everybody should pick up Ricky Wilkes and his Jack Montgomery season. Series, not season. Okay. And do you have anything record tells today? Well, you know, Halloween has just passed us. But if you're not quite done with the horror... We published two books uh, last year with that were gay horror. J.B. Laws, who only wrote two books before he was taken by AIDS. Uh, he was, at the time, considered the gay Stephen King. And his first book, Steam, actually gave me nightmares, which a book rarely does. And then his other book, The Unfinished, is equally frightening. Well, I've heard both of them were scary books. Yes, scary books very well written and and steam is the opposite of a novella it is it is long and detailed and the horror just goes on and on and on yeah that's the one i think i've heard the most about that yes that, that's supposed to be pretty terrifying fun recommendation for poison me slowly and it's ricky wilkes ricky wilkes and then we have the two jb law pours uh steam and the finished the unfinished. Oh, the unfinished. Yeah, the unfinished. Okay, there's a difference there. Okay, anything else for us this week? That's all I have. Okay, I had fun with Grant Atherton, so I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, and it's it's election day so in the U.S., so go out and vote. Oh, it is election day when this comes out. Yeah. I've got mine already sent, but yeah, definitely get out and vote if you haven't done it yet. After you finish the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. You know, some of those lines are long enough. You can listen to the podcast while you wait or 10. That's right. <laughs> All right, Brad, have a good week. Okay. You too. If you enjoy gay mystery podcast, let others know by leaving a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to our show. Grant Atherton lives in a small, sleepy town on the east coast of England after moving down from London 10 years ago. The fictional town of Elders Ridge in his books is based very much on his hometown, with a few minor changes to suit the plots. It was only until 2017 when he plucked up the courage to publish his first work. He's published two additional novels since then. He's had a lifelong fascination with what makes people tick, and when he returned to college, he left with a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology. 
Now, Grant, you didn't mention in your bio what the differences are between your sleepy hometown and the fictional one in your novels, but I'm hoping and venture to guess that it's because the murder rate in your real town is not as high. Hey, nowhere near as high, I'm glad to say. In fact, in fact, I can't remember one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm Go ahead. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that people don't leave El. It's Elders Edge, by the way, not Elders Ridge. But I'm, oh. I'm kind of. Su- I'm surprised that people um, don't leave in their droves because it does seem to be have a particularly high murder count. Yeah, I have Elders Ed- Edge written down. I don't know why I said the other. Oh. Yeah, I. Uh, I had a guest on recently who who said that uh, in real life, no one would attend Oxford University because in fiction it has an incredibly high murder rate. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about mysteries, uh, especially the ones that take place in small English towns where. Yeah. People- I don't know. I don't know many. Um, I mean, I, I, uh, before I started writing, you know, this particular genre, um, I, I read, I read quite a lot of stuff, uh, people like, um, Josh Lanyon. Um, but it's mostly set in the States. I've never actually come across anyone else. Um, you know, from my part of the world, who writes um, MM mystery fiction. So I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, I live in Los Angeles, and a few years ago they did find a body in the dumpster where I live, but it's nothing like it is in the movies. It's not, no, <laughs> I would, or I no, wouldn't I'm live sure. here. So that was interesting. So first, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to have you on. And for our listeners, uh, uh, the difference here between radio and tele or uh, between radio and podcasting is I'm going to apologize in advance if you hear my new neighbors banging on the walls and yelling and screaming. <laughs> oh, dear. Is it that bad? Uh, yes, it's Fin-fin that bad. And if you Fin-fin don't walls. hear if, if you don't hear them, ignore that I ever gave this one. So. <laughs> right. Right. OK. <laughs> uh, now, Grant, you for some time, you kept it a secret that you published your first novel. Uh, yeah. You didn't even tell your friends or family members. No, I, um, I, I've always written. Um, my, one of my earliest memories is of being about, I don't know, six or seven years old when I was at primary school. And my teacher used to pay me candy bars for each story I wrote. I used to write stories about talking animals. Um, so, you know, that was, that was my first paid contract at the age of seven. Personally, I think <laughs> I should, personally, I think I should have held out for a better contract, better deal, but there you go. What do you know at that age? Um, but yeah, I, um, I don't know when I, when I decided it was about time I got serious. I mean, I used to write for my own pleasure. And when I finally thought, you know, it's time I got serious, I was so worried. Um, that I would make such a, you know, a, a, um, a mess of it that I just didn't want anyone to know. So when the first book was published, I waited until I got some reviews, you know, before I told anyone. And I, I still suffer a bit from imposter syndrome. You know, I, I, everybody, um, you know, I, I just always think that other people are good writers, but I'm just somebody who plays at it. Um, so it, it's kind of very difficult. It's something I'm very shy about. I don't know why, but there you go. Yeah, so I, only, oh, go ahead. I was going to say only, only very few people know um, that I, you know, that I write. So just f- sort of close friends. 
Well, I know very few writers who don't suffer from imposter syndrome, (laughs) even some of the best. They may have published 30 books and they still think the world's not believe they're a good writer and the next book is going to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I have people, I have people asking me about, you know, what kind of techniques I use. And I, I always think, well, why are you asking me? You should be asking a proper writer. (laughs) That is true. Was it difficult to keep it to yourself? Um, uh, well, you know, not, not really. Um, I, um, you know, I, I work at my desk anyway, and I just kind of did it, did it on the side. I did a lot of writing on the side. So no, it, it wasn't. I think everybody was a bit shocked when they, you know, when they finally realized that I'd, I was actually published, um, before I told anyone. So they were shocked. What other kind of reactions did you get? Uh, they were, they were pretty positive. You know, I, a few friends who, who read the book and yeah, they approved. Um, so yeah, it was fine. It was all fine. And, and that's when I started to feel a bit more like I was a writer. Well, now you're an author. Uh, That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Anybody, anybody that's writing, I tell them you are a writer. Yeah, Uh, that's right. Don't don't forget that. Now your three novels are part of the Elder's Edge series. Uh, who is your protagonist? Um, that is Michael McGregor. Um, when I, 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 I've always had a, a light. He's, a, he's actually a um, forensic psychologist. I've always had a, a lifelong fascination with what makes people tick, which is why I did my degree course in psychology. Um, I know when I when I actually went back to college to do the course, um, I didn't need to buy any of the course books because I'd been reading them all for years. Um, so I, I I kind of based my character. Um, you know, as a forensic psychologist, because it was kind of, you know, I knew a bit about the subject anyway. And I I just thought it was a, you know, fascinating, um, you know, fascinating subject to get involved with. Well, I find it fascinating that you actually read the textbooks before you even took the class. I mean, that really shows. Well, I just, uh, I just love, I just love the idea. I just like to know what makes people tick. I always have done. It just fascinates me. Why do you think that is? I'm not really, I really don't know. I don't know. I just don't. Are you the type that would uh, sit at a uh, a train station and just watch people go by? Oh, God, yes. Look, look, one thing I'm really guilty of, I can be sat with a group of friends in the pub or in a restaurant, uh, and I'm listening to conversations on other tables. I'm always getting told off for doing that because I, I miss what's going off at my own table. But yeah, I'm always listening and, um, and I watch people's reactions as well. I can, I can watch somebody and just pick up on their body language. Um, and, and I've, I, I always forget to take a notebook with me and all night I'm thinking, remember that, remember that. And then, then I sort of get home and, and write down these little, you know, character profiles from what I've, you know, from what I've observed while I've been out. I probably said this on the show before. My husband is frequently telling me, you are so nosy. And yes. I say, I always say, no, I'm a writer. There's yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, it's a good excuse. I mean, I think I was actually nosy before I was a writer, but you're right. It's a good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I would know everybody's business. It gets me out of my own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about Michael McGregor. I, I, oh, 
difficult really is um is a trouble i think he's a bit of a troubled man and i never i never really intended him to go in the direction that he did but you know there's this argument isn't there about about whether or not you write your characters or if they write you uh, or lead you in a particular direction i think he's a bit of a troubled soul but he's he's um he's coming to terms with he uh, with uh, with being gay basically because he was always he was part of a family a deeply religious family that disapproved of his relationship with another man and and cast him out uh, and he spent a lot of his early life trying to come to terms you know with his family um you know playing the de- the good son basically uh, and it didn't work out he was married twice uh, to two different women and eventually met up again following the death of his father he met up again with the man that he left behind as a teenager and they eventually you know got back together it was a very troubled relationship to start with uh, and still is to some extent in uh, in the following in the the books that follow uh, so he's, he's somebody who's gradually had to come to terms with his sexuality and it's taken him a long time to do so. Yeah, generally if somebody is trying to come to terms and, and with coming out, relationships are yeah. very difficult Yes, uh, for that. Uh, now, is he from Elder's Edge or from London? or? No, he, he, is, he is actually from Elder's Edge. He he lived in Elder's Edge. He grew up in Elder's Edge and couldn't wait to get away. It's one of those quiet backwater places. Um, I mean, in real life, I love where I live, but I would imagine for, you know, really young people, it's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a backwater. So Mikey eventually left his hometown and went to London looking for the bright lights and the, and the good life. Uh, and it didn't really quite work out the way he wanted. And eventually he came back home, found what he was looking for, uh, and is now settling back into life in the small, sleepy town that he once longed to get away from. So yes, he's, um, he's, he's now coming to terms with, with living, you know, the life that he always should have before he deserted his lover and left his hometown. So I suppose he's gone full circle in a way. Yeah, as many of us have. As many of us have, yes. Your most recent novel that you published a couple of months ago in August is Away With You. Yes. Uh, can you give us a peek into the book without giving too much away? Um, well, if you've, if anyone's read the previous two books, they know that there's also an ongoing relationship with, with Mikey's best friend, Karen, um, she's having a relationship with a local uh, police sergeant. And the third book actually starts with their wedding. Um, it's the reception following their wedding ceremony, which attracts, you know, friends from far and wide. Uh, but one of those friends comes back to Elder's Edge with a dark secret that forms the basis of the plot. Um, I'm not sure I can go any further than that, really. Okay, yeah. Without giving, without giving too much away. That, that's quite right. Now, in a series, it's always more fun to start at the beginning. But is it possible for someone to pick up this book and know what's going on? Or do, do you have to read them sequentially? Um, the, the, 
the murders, murder mystery itself is fine. They're independent within each book, but Mikey's um, relationship uh, and his slow coming to terms with his sexuality is a continuing theme. So I guess you can pick up one of the books uh, and read it, but you get a far better grounding, a far better idea of Mikey if you read the previous books. Yeah, I think that's true of a lot of series. The yeah. the primary arc is the book itself, but there's usually a secondary arc that may go for quite a few books. That's right. Um, that, and I, I have to say that when I when I wrote the first book, it was never my intention to make it a series. Um, but I got about halfway through it. I just fell in love with my characters uh, and thought, well, why not, you know, take it further? Um, so I did. Um, and now I'm in the middle of the writing the fourth book. I suspect I will end it after the fifth. I mean, you can only go so far uh, with a series without it, without the um, the through line getting a bit a bit um, stretched out, so to speak. So um, some have gone many, many more than five. They they do indeed, but I I just think there are limits sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any idea when we can expect the fourth novel? It it actually takes me some time. It takes me about um, it takes me about a year to get a book together. I'm about a third of the way through uh, the current one, um, so it's going to be a while yet. I'd say about another nine months. Um, it's, I am a bit slow, I'm afraid. So I'm the I get, same way. I'll get there in the, I'll get there in the end. Yeah. I'm the same way. Uh, yes. it's usually about a year between books. I'm trying yes. to get faster, trying to get much yes. faster, but it's a, it's a challenge. It certainly is. Yes. Now, based on your, your background of your love of, uh, watching people and getting your bachelor's in science degree in psychology, uh, when you started the first novel, was there any question that Michael would be anything other than a forensic psychologist? No, no. Um, no, I wanted to use my interest and my, you know, knowledge of psychology uh, in the book itself. And I thought it would be, it would be, it would make a, an interesting departure from most, um, you know, most um stories of this in this particular genre i haven't actually come across any forensic psychologists so i thought it would make an interesting change but because it's a, fa a, a subject that i'm fascinated with um i thought it would be appropriate for you know one of the main characters to um you know to follow through uh with that interest yeah i know i've seen some of the movies but i can't think of a single book that has had one no. So I think you're right there. Okay, so you're working on book four, and then you plan on book five. Uh, yes. Do you possibly anticipate any uh, standalone novels in the future? Possibly. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure yet. The, the thing is that um, it's when I started the first book, when I was writing it, I, I have a, a good idea of where I'm going. I always have the main points. Uh, planned out in advance but very often you find slight detours and sort of ideas come to me as I'm writing and I always think that's something that I can use in the next you know in the next 
book mm-hmm. in the series. Uh, and that's happened every time. I've sort of got halfway through, you know, one book and, and I've already got ideas for the next one. But that's because it's a series and I just think, you know, okay, doing a standalone would be fine, but I, I, I just wouldn't know where, to, I wouldn't know where to start at the moment. I've actually started two different standalones and I don't know if I'll ever yeah. finish them because I'm always, uh, new things for the series are coming up. And I think yeah. there's, I think there's a lot of fun in writing a series. So you really, I do, I do. I do. I really, I really like my characters. It does actually get difficult because it's, it's difficult to know how much of the, the previous, um, experiences you should, you should go over again in the, in the, in a series book, in a, in a subsequent book, you know, because people have already learned an awful lot of information, but you sort of think, well, if somebody's come into this book for the first time and they've not seen, if they've not read the, the previous books, how much do you actually put in? the new book so that they can understand what's going on. So it, I think writing a series can be very difficult in that respect. Yeah. You're not the first person to bring that up because there's also the challenge of the person that did read the first book, but it was a year ago. Yes. So, so how much do you tell them without boring them? Not an awful lot. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of, um, I kind of wait until I'm sort of well into the novel and then maybe, and then maybe get the central character Mikey to sort of explain some of his background to one of the other characters. So, you know, it means that you can go back and and tell a bit about what happened in a previous, in one of the previous stories. Uh, but there's only so much of that you can do. You know, if if, if other people have read the series, then it, it 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 could be a bit repetitive, a bit boring. So yeah, you've got to be, you've got to be very careful about finding the right balance. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. So you had this incredible teacher that gave you candy for writing. Yes. <laughs> Were there any books or characters at that age that inspired you in any way? Um, yeah, I, I used to, I used to write books about talking animals and I used to read things like, you know, Brer Rabbit. I don't know if you, if you've read those books. Yeah. Um, but I was quite, I was quite a prolific reader before I went to school. I think one of the first novels I, I read was The Three Musketeers. Um, and that was when I was about five, which was, Fairly oh my ad- goodness! Yeah, fairly, fairly advanced book for a five-year-old, but I, I really, I have always really enjoyed reading as well as writing. Um, it's always been a passion, uh, and I, I was quite a prolific reader long before I started school. So, well, I'm impressed. The Three Musketeers at five is, yeah. is, is, yes. is, is something. <laughs> Everybody else was reading comic books. But I was <laughs> hey, I was, but I was also reading yeah. other books, but not the Three Musketeers. Yeah, yeah. I will, I will tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> you're an amateur astronomer, and yes. I have a confession to make. My entire life, I have wanted a telescope, and yes. I think I asked for, for one every year for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> And my family didn't have a lot of money at the time, but my parents always saved for a big Christmas. Yes. But I never got that telescope. And my confession is I've never even looked through one. Oh, oh, that is such a shame. You know, the problem is um, that people don't even look up without a telescope. The, The night sky is just so beautiful. 
and yet people just ignore it. I I was a, an amateur astronomer when I was a, a child. It was another uh, lifelong fascination. Um, but when I moved to London, of course, you can imagine in a big city like London, uh, you can barely see the sky at night because of all the city lights. Mm-hmm. And then when I when I moved again down here, I, I you know suddenly the 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 night skies were there again in all their glory. So I I bought myself another another telescope and um, and went from there. It's very relaxing actually, and it and it you know because it, it obviously it means you've got to be out in the out in the garden in the early hours of the morning, but it's very relaxing and um, you know while and and also it means that I'm I'm also getting <laughs> ideas for the story as well. They're still going through my mind at the same time. Have you written astronomy in any of your novels? No, no, I haven't. Actually, that's a good idea. I might do that now. Thanks for the suggestion. There you go. Keep that. You better write that down. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of my best memories of the skies is I I was camping on an island off the coast of North Carolina. And I came out of the tent and looked up. And for the first time in my life, I saw saw the sky as it is. Yes. Brilliant. It was just amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen that since. I now live in Los Angeles, where when we look up at the sky, we see the moon and maybe if we're lucky, Mars and Venus. Exactly. (laughs) And and I I went to stay with some friends who lived in a remote part of Spain, um, you know, right in the middle of nowhere. And and I've never forgotten the night skies. There's so much detail. You can see the band of the Milky Way across the across the sky. It's absolutely beautiful. But as I say, so many people don't even bother to look up, you know. I believe in Canada there is a um I'm almost certain I've read this. There is a national park that is that has no light pollution. Yeah, we, we have some over here as well. They're called dark zones. And that they're specifically meant for that very purpose so that you can so that you can look at look up at the night skies without um you know without any light interference from the ground i think we've got about four or five of those in in britain yeah it makes me think of a hundred well a little over a hundred years or more before even in the large cities at night you probably had this brilliant sky that we now miss yes yeah now you you self-publish your novels Yes. Uh, are there any major hurdles that you've encountered in doing so? Um, no, no, not none at all. I, I always think, of course, if you self-publish, you've got to be very careful that, you know, that uh, I always make sure that I've got uh, a number of beta readers who, who will read it first and give me a lot of, a lot of um, feedback. Um, one of them in particular. I always think I can get away with something in a in a book. I just think I'll slide past that, and he always picks up on it, which is very annoying. But 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 also is exactly what he should be doing, of course. And one of my one of my beta readers is uh, a musician. He, he composes music. He even writes theme music for my characters and my storylines. I mean, how cool is that? So, so I have music to listen to, you know, that, that was composed specifically for my characters, which is, which is a wonderful benefit. Well, that is. 
And one thing, though, I, I learned that you have to be worried about with, with beta readers is I had um, one of my characters is Greek, has a great relationship with his aunt. Yes. And somebody gave my book to a person who's Greek, but they're Greek Orthodox. And they were furious and said the book was ridiculous because never in a world in a million years would a woman that age in Greece accept a gay man. And I'm like, oh. tell me out of the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. Yeah, so I blew him off pretty quickly, but yeah, uh, well, but normally, a, normally you can't live without them. They're wonderful. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And one, the, one of my beta readers, the one who, who particularly good, is is in fact German. Um, his English is superb, but he, he he he's very good at picking up, you know, structural problems rather than just the use of the language itself. He's really quite good, very keen. Um, so I'm I'm just very very lucky, uh, and they do it for free. So you know it's not like I'm paying for beta readers, mm -hmm. uh, as as some people do. So yeah, I'm just I'm just very lucky with the people I have, and of course the other the other the other thing of course is when you self publish, because I self publish through Amazon. So of course you get feedback from the reviews. So that, you know, that, that's something that keeps you on your toes, you know, because sometimes you'll get people who will pick things up and comment on them. And you, you kind of have to take that on board, you know, for future books. But so far, I've had pretty good reviews. So I'm, I'm not too, I'm not too bothered. Well, and I noticed that you post some of your readers' review on your website. So I, yes. I, I definitely know that you read them. Have you learned anything from a review that you incorporated into your writing? I, yeah, actually, the um, the one I just published one one of my one of my reviewers after reading the second book said, um, "You know, I can't wait for the third book, and we have a wedding to look forward to." Well. Until until I got that review, it never occurred to me um, to base the book around a wedding. So I've got one of my reviewers to thank for the for the, for the third book because, <laughs> of course, it, it opens with the with Karen and Richard's wedding, and it had never occurred to me until I got that review to do that. Well, that, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, <laughs> quite. What's the most memorable thing you've heard from a reader? From a reader. Um, I can't. I don't really know. There is there's this argument in, um, you know, it, with people who write this genre about whether or not, you know, I, I know a lot of women write um, MM fiction, mm -hmm. and there's this is constant argument about whether or not a woman should be writing about gay men, about gay relationships. Um, well, as I said earlier, one of my favourite authors was Josh. Lanyon, and it was a long time before it was a couple of years before I realized that he was actually a woman writing under a, a male pen name. So I thought, well, I identified with her gay male characters. So what does it matter that it's a woman who was writing them? But one of my reviewers started the review by saying, it's quite obvious that this is a woman writing for other women under a male pen name and after i calmed down i was so angry at that i just thought it was a um and you know a very sort of um ill-judged and ill-mannered thing to say um but it suddenly occurred to me afterwards that if somebody cannot tell what my true gender is based on what i write then what difference does it make what my gender is 
Um, so I, I, you know, my heart goes out to all those women who've, you know, who've been criticized for writing about, about gay male relationships. You know, that we're, we're all writers, you know, we're, we're quite entitled to, um, you know, to write about what we want as long as we do our research properly. I brought up last week's guest. I brought up that my husband is, is a black man. And I, but I said, I don't think I could ever write, even though his family has embraced me. Yeah. I don't think I could ever write from the perspective of a black man. And, and my guest said, why not? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I thought about it and I thought, you're right. Uh, people have been doing this for forever. So it is good that they sometimes don't yeah. catch that. What was the biggest surprise you learned after becoming a published author? Uh, biggest surprise um, that I'd actually achieved it, I think. I just spent so much of my life. Um, I mean, I've always written. I just, I've just been writing all my life, but I, I did it for my own enjoyment, really. Um, I used to do a lot of online gaming as well, and I used to write scenarios you know, for, for online gaming as well. I guess it was fairly late on when I decided that I, I, it really is time I, I wrote a novel and got on with it. And I think that was the biggest surprise. I, I, end, I just ended up being a writer. Since you were somewhat uh, timid about actually writing a novel with the idea of getting it published, how long did that actually take you, the process? Um, the, the first book, I actually mulled it over and, and came up with some ideas and um, and thought it through for about two years bef before I even put pen to paper. So it was quite, it really was quite a long process. And I was, I was really quite terrified when I, when I first published it. Um, I kept looking at, you know, Amazon waiting for all those terrible reviews to come in to say how awful it was and who did I think I was you know, to, um, <laughs> to publish. So yeah, that was, a, that was a big surprise. I mean, I started out by getting, you know, fairly good reviews. So that was a real boost to my ego, I suppose, which helped me to move on and, and keep on writing. And you have a good number of reviews. So good on you. Yeah. Um, there's one or two bad ones, but of course you can't please everyone. No. You never can. No, somebody's always going to find something. Yes. Well, once again, your latest novel is Away With You, and it's the third novel in your Elder's Edge series. And I'll post a link to that on your Amazon page in the show notes, as well as your website. That's excellent. Thank you. You're thank very you. welcome. And I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me, too. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hit the subscribe button wherever you hear our show so you don't miss a single episode. Tell a friend too. Thank you for listening.